Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week it is indeed a Womp Womp Wednesday. Your 10-2 49ers are now the fifth seed in the NFC, but they still control their own destiny. And with me this week to detail the value that Chase McLaughlin will bring to the Colts, it's David Newman. Dear God, what did I get myself into now? I'm telling you, every time you come back, kickers and running backs, it's a thing. Yeah, I mean, do you want to get into how our franchise kicker has been one of the worst kickers in the NFL this season? I mean, I may have an article queued up in the hopper uh, for the rundown, so let's uh, let's go ahead. Yeah, and, and I'm not gonna, I haven't I haven't like uh, fully read it yet, but I know um, Timo from our analytics team had a big article about kickers. I haven't had a chance to like read through it yet. But, Don't bury the lead. That's um, the article. Don't bury the lead. Uh, all right. Yeah. All so, I'm saying, Robbie Gold, not that good. Uh, all I'm saying is that Chase McLaughlin may be the one that got away because there were a lot of teams that put a claim in on Mr. McLaughlin. Name the two other teams that put in a claim on uh, Chase McLaughlin. No idea. Bills and Patriots. We come to you for kicking expertise, David. I mean, that is not at all why you come to me. Wait, running backs and kickers. This this is your brand. You have to stay on brand. Uh, but. It. David Newman, it's good to have you back here in the Better Rivals Lab. Uh, what the hell have you been doing, man? We've missed you. Yeah, I mean, wrapping up college season. So, like, yeah, hopefully we'll, we'll uh, if we get a nice little playoff run here, might be able to come on a bit more regularly down the stretch. But, uh, yeah, wrapping up the college season, so staying busy with that, trying to get all of those games reviewed and ready to go so we can start kind of getting draft stuff going and... Um, yeah, that's that's my life right now is uh, basically college football until that's done. A little break on Sundays, Mondays for NFL. Yeah. Rinse, repeat every week. My life is, is shitting on the Mandalorian to people at work. Oh, what? Oh. Dear, no. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's not, dude. Okay, I'm not even going to get started. Well, n- number one, cannot see the main actor's face to connect with him emotionally in any way, shape, or form. Two, Lots of silence. That doesn't matter at all. It absolutely matters. No, it absolutely does not. Does not. Um, his voice acting is not that good. Trust me. I'm done. I'm done yeah. with this conversation. You're just you know what? You can go punt yourself right just, out of this I'm conversation, just, I'm my friend. Disgusted. Yeah. <laughs> all right, but let's get to the game because it is you know it's a game and it sucks. Uh, two losses now. The 49ers ten and two. Both losses have come on last second field goals. Both losses that felt like they were very, very winnable games. And, and so the the first thing really about this game is like, was there anything new that we learned about this team? Because, you, you know, there it was a bad matchup, I think, for the 49ers going into this game. Their run yeah. defense, not the strongest. But this was a team that the Baltimore Ravens that liked to run the ball. The They did hold the, their defense stepped up. They held the Baltimore Ravens to, you know, one of their lower season outputs. And and so all in all, it's one of those things where it just kind of felt like whomever had the ball ass would win. And it just so happened that the Ravens had the ball for like, I don't know, 97 <laughs> minutes at the at the end of the game. Yeah. It was really more like six. But did we really learn anything new about the 49ers in this game? I don't think so. Yeah, I, I think, you know, like you mentioned, um, I think it just kind of highlighted some things that we haven't seen as much of, but I don't feel like those are necessarily new things that we're learning. Right. So, um, the run defense being a good example of that, like the run defense wasn't awful by any stretch. Right. But that's kind of been the clear weakness for the defense this season. You look at everything to do with their past defense and it's been great, right? Obviously the pass rush has been outstanding. They've been great on the back end. Everything has just been working really well together. Um, on that front. And then it's kind of flown under the radar because it's just not as important. And obviously they've been doing really well defensively, but from a run defense standpoint, they've been far more mediocre, you know, even maybe below average for, for a large chunk of the season, like that same sort of dominance that you get from the front in the pass rush hasn't extended and and really doesn't always extend to being also dominant in the run game. Um, and so going up against a team like the Ravens, who are the, you know, the most run heavy team essentially, uh, in the NFL from at least from like a game planning standpoint and what they really want to do, like the Niners are, have been kind of close for the season, but the Ravens really kind of take a different approach to it. And so it was always going to be a matchup that highlighted that sort of deficiency defensively. And they just 
I think a lot to do with the weather, like couldn't overcome it offensively. The weather, I think, absolutely exacerbated the the matchup deficiency in that you now are relying more so on the run game. It kept the game close because the effectively the Niners pass game was neutered due to the weather. I mean, yes, you could argue that Lamar Jackson was neutered a little bit as well. But I do think that because the Niners weren't able to do much through the air, they didn't have as many opportunities to get ahead in the game script like they are so want to do and it had to rely on the running game i mean it really was just body blow after body blow and unfortunately the ravens are more equipped to deliver those body blows because they have a more dynamic running game and they have three drives that really sealed the game for them they had a drive of 13 plays another drive of 13 plays and then a 12 play drive those are difficult for any team to come back from especially when you're talking about such a tight game and you've got Justin, Justin Tucker, who, you know, got to stay on brand and talk about the best kicker in the NFL. <laughs> he is the one guy who you're going to be like, yeah, if you're going to play for a field goal, that's the guy that you want kicking it. And, and ultimately, I think that was the, the ultimate difference in the game. Now, when it came to defending Lamar Jackson, there was a very clear plan from Robert Sala and the defense. And I'll be honest, it's not a plan that I super duper loved. Like I loved 50% <laughs> of it. Because I, I, I was hoping that they weren't going to defend the option the way that we've seen the Niners defend the option in the past against Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson, which is squeezing down the defensive end and then effectively having that defensive end play the two-way go. They played this game aggressively and they made Lamar Jackson keep the ball by playing a scrape exchange. They shot the defensive end straight at the mesh point, straight at the running back, really. And that's an immediate keep read for the quarterback because that's the guy that i'm reading if he goes towards the running back i'm keeping the ball and so now you are going to exchange that gap with a linebacker or in some cases a safety and you're going to pick up that gap and and you're hoping that your defender is going to be able to tackle that quarterback now in most cases that's a gamble i'm willing to take against colin kaepernick (laughs) that's a gamble i'm willing to take against against a lot of quarterbacks that's a gamble i'm willing to take against lamar jackson that's not the gamble i want I do not want to put the ball in Jackson's hands. I would much rather have Ingram or Edwards or anyone else with the ball in their hands. And yet Robert Sala basically was like, you know what? You know what I want? I want Lamar Jackson in space (laughs) one-on-one with a linebacker or with Kwan Williams. Williams. Oh my God. And Kwan Williams is still trying to like basically super glue his ankles back together. My ankles hurt watching his ankles just get decimated. I'm um, I'm able to click my ankle nonstop currently <laughs> under this recording table no because of the fact that I watch that on television. I mean, it, it's and, brutal. And I get it. Like, it, it actually, I'm glad that what I love about the plan is that, hey, it was a plan. Uh, and, and B, you had a very clear choice and, and you thought that you could make that happen. But I, I still am not super wild about that plan. Right. Yeah, I, I think it just comes down to so that that puts more stress on the linebackers, right, or safeties who are coming in and support like um, it, it puts the stress on them to really be able to kind of make those plays in space. Right. And I think uh, we saw that that isn't like Lamar is just so dynamic um, yeah. and, and it's just it's not necessarily like a, a knock on the 49ers defenders that they couldn't exactly. make this happen. Like nobody's been able to make this happen, right? Like they're, he's, he's the most dynamic runner in the NFL right now. Like very few, he's made defense after defense look stupid uh, whenever he gets into space. Right. And so I, I think it was kind of silly to expect that that would work out differently, especially for a defense that is weakest at linebacker. Right. I mean, that's, I think by far the, the weakest unit on that side of the ball. And so you're putting guys that are backups like Dre Greenlaw and, um, you know, yeah. Shair, and, and you're asking them to go and basically handle this exceptional runner in space. And it's just like, not something that's always going to go very well. Well, and the other thing is that you've got to know that Greg Roman's run schemes have an answer for what you're going to throw at them. If you're scrape exchanging, because the way that you defeat the exchange is by throwing an arc block or throwing, you know, kind of a, a motion, player that's going to actually pick up that player that you have scraping over the top and that's exactly what happened to the 49ers on on one of the first option plays that they ran you have exactly that you've got the tight end coming in motion across and you've got a beautiful scrape exchange you've got warner who's got him matched up one-on-one in the hole with lamar jackson and then he sees the tight end and he's got to respect the tight end and so he flows with the tight end and all of a sudden there's no one there to stop lamar it's an easy pickup and and i mean that that is 
that is really, really basic what 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 you do to account for that scrape exchange yeah. and it's not like this is a new thing that greg roman put on film yeah I mean, that is the base run that they run when they like to run that veer is they like to run the arc block and they've got like a bajillion ways to do it but it, it that's basically it yeah um, for sure this is not something you know that they haven't shown before right like exactly. this is very much stuff that you would expect them to run and and yeah you want to have uh, answers for those things for sure. And I think that was kind of the, the different, the other thing that like w- by putting the ball in Lamar's hands is, is those runs just by nature tend to be more efficient. And that was when, so when you, you have this game, right, the weather is kind of dictating that both teams who already like to lean run heavy are going to really lean into that and, and run the ball a lot. And you look at kind of the overall rushing numbers and they're not terribly dissimilar, right? So it looks like, uh, you know, 184 yards rushing for for the Ravens, 174 for the Niners, right? It like, seems pretty close, but the difference is the Niners had a few play, like a handful of plays that they broke off for big runs, right? And so you had some of the big plays mixed in there, but the consistency wasn't. And that's why they really weren't able to sustain drives in the same way that you saw with Baltimore, right? Who was ripping off these like, I mean, multiple double digit play drives in there. And it's yeah. because you're getting the ball in Lamar's hands. You're consistently picking up yardage, right? Getting that six, seven yards because he's just going to make somebody miss in space or he's at least going to run away from them. long. He's faster than them, right? He's going to yeah. run away from them long enough to pick up a few yards and get out of bounds. And you, and, and so it's just harder to limit the yardage uh, when, when you're putting the ball in his hands as opposed to forcing him to give it to the running back and, yep. and, you know, hoping that your guys inside can hold up and make some yeah. tackles for short gains. And and if you're going to force the give, you are forcing him into the, the teeth of the defense. Yeah, you're probably giving up a gap and you're giving up a little bit of numbers when it comes to the blocking game, but you're still going into the middle of the defense as opposed to being one-on-one on the edge. But I also think that this is where inexperience for the 49ers, especially at the linebacker position, really, really did hurt hurt them. I think this is, you often hear like, you know, oh, this is the game they're really going to miss Quan Alexander. And the defense has been playing really, really well, even without Quan. I do think this was the game, though, where their lack of depth and experience at linebacker really bit them in the ass. Yeah. Because you look at what happened to Aziz Alshair, you had him playing a lot more snaps this week because of the type of offense that, that the Ravens ran with more tight ends and with a more run-heavy scheme. And he had a lot of trouble finding the ball. I mean, his, his there were some snaps where he, I mean, you, ha, you were there in practice. You know this is an option team. And yet he's abandoning gaps and running to the middle of the field. Uh, he did it on the goal line as well. Mark Nazacha did the same thing. Uh, and then uh, when you've got another young player who comes in and Marcel Harris, his first snap of the game, poor dude just wasn't ready, man. He gets called in. He was probably yeah. sitting. He was trying to get warm. He's sitting by the little heater on the bench. He's like, man, I'm just trying to stay warm. And then all of a sudden, it's like, come in. Tart broke his ribs. And he's like, I'm sorry, what? And then the next thing you know, he's out of position, and Lamar Jackson is running the ball. Um, like, and so literally, literally the first snap on the field. Yeah, it was bad. But you know, we'll get to Marcel Harris a little bit later. But I think this is where that inexperience really began to show for the 49ers. Yeah, so I mean... Uh, you know, I don't know, like Quan Alexander would have just been faster to get there and miss the tackle on Lamar uh, <laughs> is probably how it worked out. So I don't know that there was really going to be a better answer for it, but it certainly didn't help. Right. Like having again, we talked about uh, several times at this point like that, the linebacker group just, you know, outside of Fred Warner, who's, you know, definitely their their best, most consistent guy. Um, it's it's rough. You haven't it's been here rough. in a while, but we've clearly preserved you in salt. Because your takes are salty, my friend. They're they're very very salty. Look, I'm just like it's there. Like we, everybody <laughs> knew that Quan like people try to pretend like Quan Alexander didn't miss tackles. It's like no man. You if you want to like be pro Quan Alexander, like like there's other things you can go to, right? Like lean into those. Like don't come at me and say that like oh he's he's gonna suddenly become a good tackler. Like that shit's just not happening. And he wasn't when when he was out there. Like he wasn't a good tackler. He would have gotten. Quan Williams probably multiple times in this game by Lamar. So, you know, yeah, he would have got quand. We'll we'll figure out how to make that work. There you go. Um, But the defense did improve a little bit in the second half. I I don't know that it was because of anything that the Niners did adjustment wise. I do think it was just because the, the Ravens ran fewer option plays. When you look at their option plays, they ran three of their 10 option runs in the second half. Most of them were concentrated in the first half. When you look at J- uh, Jackson's rushing numbers, they were pretty even across both halves. He rushed eight times for 57 yards in the first half, uh, and that included his one-yard touchdown run. 
Uh, and he had 44 rushing yards in the second half. I mean, that that extra 12 or 13 yards, not that big of a deal. I do think that the defense did get better at executing the calls that they had in the second half. And, and we talked a little bit about uh, Marcel Harris. Of course, he had that turnover eventually that really helped the 49ers and kept them in the game. Yeah. But there was one play that wasn't an option run that the Ravens ran several times, and it was effectively a naked bootleg where Lamar Jackson turns his back to the defense and it looks like he's going to hand the ball off and he keeps it and he runs around the edge with basically no blockers. That's one of the plays that got, uh, I believe, I think it was Al Shayer. Uh, he bit yeah, on one of those he, plays. Yeah, he had kind of backside contain there. And exactly. Inside, yeah. But then later on in, in the fourth quarter, they run the exact same play and Al Shayer actually stays home and he's able to, to keep contained. So that's the kind of improvement that you saw from that team from the first half to the second half. You know, so it wasn't anything schematically they did different. They just got better at doing it. Um, same thing with the veer. There were a, there was a play where Jimmy Ward ended up filling as the alley player, and that made kind of Lamar string the play out a little bit. And and so I think they just got a little bit better in the second half. That was able to keep it close, but they didn't do much thing or too many things that were different. Yeah, I mean, really, other than I mean, you had the the play that Harris came in on right away, and I think they gave up like a tw- it was like a twelve yard yeah. run or something like that from Lamar, but. Um, yeah, otherwise, I mean, it seemed like in the second half overall, they were a lot better. It was just like the problem that they kept running into and and that they ultimately ran into most late was just like not being able to get that, that stop on third down, right? They they were again, just because they could get consistent yardage, it may not have been big chunks and they were kind of limiting the damage, but it was always seemed to be just enough to like keep the chains moving and stay on the field. And and other than the play, I mean, thankfully, like the the Harris play was so big because they were. I mean, that's the first drive of the third quarter there. Yeah, like they were moving the ball well, and obviously on that run, like moving into scoring range, had he not ripped the ball out, so that was that was huge. And I think they the, those next couple of drives, like they were a lot better. And it wasn't until that final one again, they just like couldn't get off the field. You can't. You have a team that's out there for 13 plays. I mean, that's rough, like it eating is. up that last six and a half minutes. And, and that's the thing, ultimately, is that, yes, we're, we're, we're definitely pointing at some of the things that we didn't like in this game when it came to the defensive performance. But overall, this is a defense that held the most explosive offense in football currently to 20 points. Yeah. And yes, the weather had something to do with it. And, and yes, I, you know, there were definitely some missed opportunities that that the the Ravens had. But overall, this was still a, an overall decent defensive performance. Um, there were just a couple of things schematically I thought that were interesting choices. And it, it would not surprise me if this were a, a game that the Niners have to play again sometime in February. And how they play this game differently, I think, is going to be very, very interesting. Yeah, I think. And, and the other thing to like kind of point out, we talked about after the the first Arizona game, right? And kind of some of the success that they had and the the specific way that they had success in that game talked about like how that was unlikely to really be a big factor going forward right it was kind of some things in the screen game okay you can get that cleaned up and it's gonna be fine it's not really gonna be uh something that should linger it's not guys getting beat and just playing really poorly right it's things that that should be correctable this is kind of similar to me in the same way like you're not really gonna face another team that's gonna do these things and present these same type of problems um, unless you happen to make it to the Super Bowl and play the Ravens again, right? Like that's going to be the only time throughout the rest of the season that that you would face that problem. So not being able to, you know, necessarily defend it perfectly and be great uh, in, in this game in that way isn't really going to affect them too much, you know, throughout the yeah. rest of the season up until that point. And if, and if anything, I'm really glad the Niners had this game on the schedule because one of the things I think that makes the Ravens such a tough team to play is that they do so many things differently than other teams in the NFL that you have to prepare differently for them. And now the 49ers have a week of preparing for them. And I think if they do meet in the Super Bowl, that does give them a leg up in terms of preparation outside of perhaps a divisional foe. Um, which they wouldn't face in the Super Bowl, uh, but they would face in the regular season. So o- overall, I think the defense played well. There were just a couple things that were interesting. Now, on the other side of the ball, of course, you've got Shanahan, who's getting a lot of heat for his game management and his decision making. Um, I did a, a radio spot for SB Nation Radio right after the game, and the number one thing that he kept asking me about was like, you know, oh, the Shanahan's decision making, it's been a problem since 28-3, to and now, you know, it happened again. And I'm I'm really, really tired of that narrative. I'm getting so I'm so over it because there are there are no coaches going to manage a game in every instance perfectly. And you've got a spectrum of game management. But 
ultimately Shanahan is not the reason that the Niners ultimately, well, there was a couple of things that he did, but ultimately I don't, I think that's a terrible narrative for him as a game manager. I thought that the drive at the end of the half was fine. I thought it was managed well. And I thought the the drive to close the game out had a couple of things you want back, but overall not anything super terrible. I think the, the thing that you always have to consider, right. When it comes to any sort of decision-making or, you know, uh, game management type stuff is you need to look at at in the context of that specific game, right? So yes, there are some general rules that will guide you in the right direction most of the time, right? So you think of things like, okay, you're in opponent territory and you've got fourth and short. Okay. Most games you should, you need to go for this. Like this is a, a play that you should go for the majority of the time, right? So you have some things like that that's going to guide you in the right direction. But largely, like, you want to look at the specific context of that game. And, and kind of it's, I think when you look at it through that lens, it's far more understandable, a lot of decisions, because, like, flat out offensively, they were not doing anything. Um, they they had, the, the main thing they had going for them on successful drives was they did manage to rip off a few big plays in the run game. But when you look at the the pass game throughout the entire time, like, there was very little there. Like you, you, it was not something that combined with the weather, like was giving you a lot of confidence that you should be able to go out and move the ball down the field. And it's like a two minute situation like you would expect normally. Right. So like, it's going to be like the expectations that he had for the offense in this situation, based on the way they're playing should be very different than what it's going to be next week in new Orleans in a dome, right. Where, Where none of that stuff is a factor. You would expect to be able to throw the ball a little bit better, be a little bit cleaner, you know, from your, from your past game standpoint. And here they just, they didn't have that. And so he was kind of stuck in a bad spot. We have an offense that's not playing well. And and that kind of forces you to make some tougher decisions like, okay, I'm going to run the ball three times to set up a fourth and short, because I know that that's like probably my best chance at moving the ball down the field right now. Yeah. Let's break apart that drive at the end of the first half, because I, I feel like that's a drive where you can really see the logic behind the play call uh, behind the play calls and they make so much sense I mean, to open up that drive you've got a screen to get some really easy yards it's a screen to kittle and it's an initial probe it's like all right am i going to get some positive yardage here are they going to stuff it and do i need to run a couple more times because i do not want to give the ball back to lamar jackson especially the way that offense has been going like you're saying the context in this game has been they can run the ball and they can score quickly and they're going to get the ball again to open the second half i do not want to give them the old madden double up so you get a block in the back. Now you're behind the sticks again. And you're like, okay, crap. So you throw another screen, another high percentage pass. Same idea. Not much happens. You're behind the sticks. And so you're like, okay, now we've got to burn some time off the clock. So you call a run and guess what? That run actually pops for some positive yardage. And now you're like, okay, now we're in business because you catch them in a light box. So it's at this point that Shanahan starts to throw the ball. But it's at this point that Jimmy Garoppolo starts not executing all that well. And he does something that is seemingly a problem outside of the whole underneath defender, you know, throwing to them thing. Um, <laughs> that, Pretending they don't exist. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Where he kind of, he doesn't really trust his eyes and he doesn't do the thing that he did so well with Emmanuel Sanders in that first game that he had Sanders, which was throw with anticipation and throw to the guy that's likely going to be open if he throws on time. Yeah, I mean, at times it, it's it's felt. I mean, I don't want to say it's it's necessarily uh, like for sure like an overreaction to some of the bad plays that he's had, but it, it felt like it it points in this game, right? Like so, like you mentioned, one of the the things that he's struggled with and had he's had some really ugly plays this season when it comes to um, whether it's just seeing the underneath defenders or whether it's misjudging the space that he actually has to throw with the positioning of that underneath defender, Like it's been a, a problem identifying that and making safer throws, right? He's made a lot of dangerous, like really, really dumb throws um, when it comes to like missing some of that underneath stuff, which, which is before this season uncharacteristic of him. And so in this game, it almost felt like there were times where he was, now become hesitant right where he's like okay i don't want it like is there something i'm missing here like what's what's going on right like maybe this picture isn't as clean as i think it is and so you just saw him like hesitant to pull the trigger on a number of throws um and one of those yeah you saw like in in this game and it didn't always 
work out poorly, right? Sometimes he was still able to make something happen, but it, when it's a problem like that consistently and you see him having that issue, like having a guy open in his progression, right? He's looking in that area, not pulling the trigger when it's in rhythm for him to throw it. And then, you know, once you hold the ball beyond that point, if you're not moving cleanly to your next read, then it just gets kind of dicey. Sometimes you can make something work. And I think on this drive, right, we saw a play uh, where he has born open at the sticks, right? Um, clean, clean read. He's like looking that direction breaks clearly is going to have separation to the sideline. Defenders not going to be able to get there. Like that's something you should see and pull the trigger on that throw every single time. Yep. He doesn't, in this case, it worked out. He managed to like get a pass off with a dude at his feet um, and, and get it to Sanders and who made who made a nice catch and kept the drive going. But other plays like it didn't work out right. He either missed the guy, he never made it, had a chance to get the second read and you try to go scramble and pick up a yard or two or something like that. So it was uh, it a lot of times hurting the offense and hurting their ability to consistently pick up chunks of yardage. And so now we get to the end of the game and and that fourth down call. And this is really the only time in this game where I'm looking at Shanahan and I'm thinking like, yeah, you probably should have done something else because it was not a great play call on fourth down. Everything leading up to it, I think, made uh, made some sense. But did the final fourth down call to end the game? I I just didn't get I'm not too mad at the at the fact that this was a passing play. I think as long as it wasn't an inside zone, you're probably fine. But I do think it's interesting to explore what coaches do in this situation and and what a higher probability outcome play may have been. Because you've got Nate Weller, who did a really interesting breakdown of uh, basically third and fourth down play calling in the NFL from 2015 to the beginning of this 2019 season. And basically what he found is a couple of things. One, inside zone is by far the most common play call in short distance third and fourth downs. Um, And the other thing is that the quarterback sneak is incredibly effective at picking up short yardage first downs. And if you're at like third and two, running two quarterback sneaks in a row, it can basically get you a first down on like 98% of the times. Now there's some context things in there and there's some game specific things. Obviously you don't want to run a quarterback sneak two times in a row necessarily. But the idea here is that utilizing your quarterback in short yardage games can be really, really effective. And the Niners have shown that too with Jimmy Garoppolo. They are running quarterback sneaks at probably one or two short yardage plays a game, and it's working. It's really, really working. The other thing that he found in his evaluation of fourth uh, of short yardage play calling is that if you run out of light boxes, meaning you're going four wide, then you convert at a higher rate than if you try to do the Jim Harbaugh thing, bring in eight and a half offensive linemen, and end up getting stuffed because all you've done is stack the box. Right. And so you look at then, you look at the play call that Shanahan had, and it's a pass, not mad at the pass, totally get it, uh, especially in this situation. But you bring in both running backs to what seems like, you know, not only just check the the actual man zone, but check release them. So you're looking at, to pick up an extra blocker. And then you basically run sticks against the team that's probably really well equipped to beat that. And now you've got Jimmy Garoppolo who's doing the hesitation thing and staring down George Kittle and it just doesn't end well. Right. So I think when, when you look at that, um, the, the play call specifically is the pass, right? So yeah, I think it it kind of even setting aside some of the other stuff, just, okay, they're, they're going to call a pass. Like let's do something that sets us up for success here. Right. I, I think the, the thought process behind what they were trying or what it like looks like they're trying to get accomplished with that play didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. So I think first you start with the fact that that Baltimore is uh, you know fairly heavy man coverage team or like man they they match a lot too. Like so they they have a focus on like we've talked about a lot like getting guys close to receivers, right? So that you, you can generally I think especially in this type of situation expect that they're going to be in some type of man coverage or something that's going to have where where I'm going to be thrown in tight windows, right? It's it's unlikely that I'm going to get some sort of soft zone that I can find an opening in and and be able to like make a quick throw, but before a defender can close there, like that's probably not the situation that I'm going to be in. So as a play caller, if I, if I think that they're going to be in man and then I've already, so you mentioned kind of bringing, bringing the back in motion. You have juice out wide initially, bring him back in everything you're getting pre-snap. So you get a linebacker that follows him back in there from out wide back into the box the corners are lined up and pressed tight on the line of scrimmage. Every indicator you're getting pre-snap is also saying like, hey, 
we're playing man coverage right now. Like this is what I got. And, and so you would expect in that situation, then especially being that you only need a yard, get some kind of pick. I need some kind of pick, some kind of rub, send a guy in motion. Like, let me get Jimmy on the move, like a quick sprint out and get somebody in the flat. Like you see teams do this constantly. Shanahan's done it at the goal line yeah. when he ran super mesh and he's like, let me just send every crosser in existence across the formation and see what happens. <laughs> right. There's so many things. I mean, there was a play. Um, was it? it? It was in this game, I think, where uh, Sherman, you saw the 49ers were in man, happened to be in man coverage. It was a short yard situation. Sherman's following. I, th- I think it was Brown. I don't remember who the receiver was, honestly, but uh, following receiver in motion. And then it's all of a sudden he turns around, like runs to the flat and Sherman just like it's a play of the corners aren't going to really be able to keep up with all that routinely, right? Like the expectation is that you're probably going to have a little bit of space to make that throw. And as long as the throw is accurate and and you don't like leave it behind him or something like that, that allows a defender to work his way back into it. That's, that's closing quickly. You're probably going to be fine. And so do something like that, right? Like get Jimmy on the move, get him on a sprint out, something that's going to uh, create some separation from that man coverage, right? Instead, what they did is, yeah, basically they just had three guys out in the route initially, and uh, they're just kind of running little hitch routes, like little stop routes right at the the sticks. Um, and Jimmy is locked on George Kittle. And like everything about that just says, OK, we know you're in man coverage. We're not going to do anything to try to get this guy open. This is a we're going to throw to our best player and hope he saves us play call. And even if that didn't get batted, it was getting knocked out. Like the defender that was covering Kittle was, was all over it yeah. um, and was going to be able to knock that throw down. So even if it didn't get knocked down the line of scrimmage, the guy was going to break it up at the catch point. Right. Yeah. And, and so it's just asking like it's just it, it's it's not setting your players up in the best position to succeed. It's saying I'm going to isolate my best player in, in a situation that's not ideal for him and just hope he can make some miracle happen. It's the same brute force mentality that I absolutely hated about Jim Harbaugh when he would trot out the extra offensive lineman where he was yeah. like, you know exactly what we're going to do and we're going to do it anyway because we're just better than you. Rawr. Like we can just out execute you. It's like it's the NFL, dude. Like, no, you, you want to do your best to put your players in a position to succeed. And, and I think Shanahan knows it right at the end in the For postgame sure. presser. Right. He was like, yeah, fine with the pass. Makes perfect sense. Wish I would have had a better play call. And, and that's exactly what that yeah. play call was. That's exactly what it was. You know, and so overall, I think, you know, at the top of this, like, did we learn anything new in this game? Not really. I mean, these are still two really, really good teams. Both teams are now 10 and 2. The, the Niners are, despite the fact that they're the fifth seed, which is ridiculous, um, still on track to absolutely make the playoffs. And, and even if they stay the fifth seed, they'll end up getting someone like the Cowboys. You know, and, and so that's... I mean, good. NFC East is basically a bye game, yeah. a bye week. So, you know. Yeah, I mean, look, they're going to get a bye week either way. Yeah. They, they, it's, they all, it's all going to work out. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be great. So this is this is still a really good team with a really good defense and an offense that has a, a good run game and a passing game that when it's on, it's on. And when it's sputtering, it's certainly sputtering. And and the weather, I think, exacerbated that a bit. And, and now the Niners have to get ready for New Orleans, uh, which is going to provide a different type of challenge. But a quarterback, that's a whole hell of a lot easier to get to, uh, especially since he doesn't throw more than like, you know, 10 yards on the field. <laughs> All right, well, that does it for our game recap. But let's get to the rundown. And we're going to start exactly where we ended. And that's going to be with playoff seeding because it's kind of dumb. But I don't know that there's an alternative. I mean, I feel like this is a thing like I'm going to call it right now. This is a thing that a 49ers fan says because he doesn't like being the fifth seed at 10 and two. Like it's I, I don't know that there's a better like the system is fine. You're going to have years where you just happen to have a, a, a f- extra good teams like one one side, one conference is stacked a little bit more. And you have a team that probably shouldn't be a wild card, be a wild card. And that's just kind of the nature of it. And it's going to happen. Um I don't know that that means that the system is bad. Yeah, I don't think the system is bad necessarily because it is set up to do one thing which the NFL wants, which is to cr- to make division games matter. They want rivalries. Sure. They want the divisions to matter. And basically, you win your division, and that and that's what gets you one of the, the four top seeds. Yeah, and they load up the end of the season as yeah. all division games, like those yeah. last couple weeks. That's exactly right. I, I do think the only real outcome, at least that I can think of, that would change that is to basically reseed once you make the playoffs. So, which effectively would, I mean, that does really eat into the idea that winning your division matters because all it does at that point is guarantee you a spot. So right. irrespective of your record, you're, if you win your division at seven and nine, yeah. then you 
you get the the actual uh you get the buy or not the buy i'm sorry you get the playoffs but then once you're in the seeds based on the record right exactly which i don't hate like that would be i would be i'm fine either way like i don't i don't think one is necessarily just so inherently better than the other that that it's like okay why aren't they doing this like this is a very clear improvement that they should make yeah um like i see i and i wouldn't hate that at all like i actually I would probably like that better, I think, but I don't think that that, you know, again, I don't think that the system that they have now is, is fine. I don't mind rewarding, um, winning your division with getting a home playoff game. Like, I yeah. don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. And you know, the, the amount of times that you're going to have a team with, you know, a seven and nine record or even an eight and eight record win a division just like, isn't going to be all that common i feel like yeah you know? no totally agree and so it is i think it's marginally better i think that the, te- the nfl should make that change but i don't think that there is yeah. i don't think there are enough teams that are hurt by this often enough right that they are going to be induced to make this change because the nfl only changes things when it's like a really big egregious wow, error it needs to be so clear yeah and then even then as we've seen with the pass interference They're thing, screw it up. whatever change they make might not make it any better yeah exactly so, so yeah so you know what we're stuck with it but that's okay because i i want to use the gif of jason garrett clapping as often as i possibly can i mean the thing that like ultimately yeah the thing to remember is like if the 49ers end up with a wild card spot it's from their own doing like yep. the way that you don't end up with a wild card spot is you win these games against the good teams that you're playing against that are also competing for these spots yeah like, I mean, that's you, flat out the you, only thing. you heard it here first david newman says invest in your kicker and you're not in oh, this God. spot hey man you said it not me i'm just you know these are your words my friend these are your words story number two mike mcglinchey solid game had a a really really good a good game and while we didn't have a ton of time to break it down uh on the the things that we thought about the game i did think it was important to bring it up because everyone was talking about benching him for someone like brunskill just no don't do it don't don't be that guy mcglinchey just needed some time to get back into it and he played a really really good game glad that brunskill is the swing tackle Glad uh, who hit. also like played really well in this game. Actually. He did at left tackle, um, which yeah. was his first game at left tackle after playing some snaps uh, at left tackle the, the game previously. So again, super glad that Brunskill's the swing tackle. Not a lot of teams can say that they actually have three competent tackles and the For 49ers sure. yeah. can. Uh, but now it's time to let Joe Staley get back into his starting spot. Let him get back into playoff shape which is exactly where the Niners need him uh, later on this season. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I wouldn't let you talk, not talk about uh, running backs. So let's talk about Raheem Mostert for a bit. Uh, last week, I asked the question, is uh, Tevin Coleman the worst running back on the team? Oh, wow. And, and, and now, and, and basically my, my take was like, he's probably not the, he's not the worst running back on the team. Uh, and, and, but that doesn't make him a bad running back, but he's probably like the second or third best running back on the team. Uh, and at this point, I think uh, he's, he's definitely maybe firmly in that third spot. I think the all that this conversation even tells you is how little they actually any of them matter. Um, oh, like man. the the fact that that is uh, a thing that you have trouble discerning, right? Like, is are, is my high priced free agent running back? Hey, two million dollars, simmer down. Whatever, that's high. <laughs> all right, high for what that position should be. Getting. No jerk, me kidding. Ask ask Matt Breida if that's high. Two million dollars. All right, tough but fair. Um. And so it's like, is my my free agent running back that I spent real money to bring in, is he even better than the guy I picked up off the street, Raheem Mostert, or the guy I got an undrafted free agency in Matt Breida? Like, the fact that that's not clear cut tells you literally everything you need to know about that position. Like, never, never, never spend fucking significant capital <laughs> bringing in a running back. Like, especially in a system like this, right, That that really is uh, a system that has consistently been able to get production from that position um, with coaches that know how to coach it up and like are going to put them in good spots. Like you clearly have guys there that can identify some traits at that position that are successful in the system. Like just keep doing that and don't pay them lots of money. So what you're saying is Raheem Mostert is definitely the second best running back on this team. All I all I'm saying is that Matt Breida is probably the best one. Matt Breida absolutely is, and he's coming back. It sounds like he's coming back this week, uh, which is yeah. good because we need we need some of that juice in the running game. Uh, but lastly, Pro Bowl update: the 49ers have more combined Pro Bowl votes than any other team. Uh, four players are leading their position group uh, in terms of votes. That is Nick Bosa, George Kittle, Kyle Juszczyk, 
and Uncle Sherman. Does even fucking count? There's no. like two other fullbacks. I, I know, and no one else. The only reason people know his name is because he's he's one of those legacy candidates. He gets he gets pointed out like every yeah. single time. By the way, he, here's a real life fullback like out in the wild yeah. here, <laughs> a fullback, guys. Hey, yes, man. it is. It is 2019. We are not showing you reruns from a fucking another era. I'm I'm I care more about Sherman because I and I have yeah. to look back at his contract because not only is he playing. Uh, back to, uh, I think he's playing at a Pro Bowl level absolutely this year um, for whatever that's worth. But I do think to him it's worth something because he does get payment, uh, like pay incentives in his contract based on him making Pro Bowls and or all pros. Uh, I, I forget exactly what the incentive is, but let's pay the man. Let's get him some more money. I'm pro getting players money. Uh, yeah. So let's get, let's get Sherman some money and make sure he gets in, which at this point I think he will because if he's the top vote getter at this point, um, you'd have to have like an epic epic kind of screw up in order for him to not get in yeah i mean already uh i mean he's having like an all pro caliber season um like I, yeah i think pro bowl is a no-brainer like if he doesn't if you weren't to make the pro bowl at this point like that would be very bad yeah very bad look like i mean yeah i think he's been um not quite as dominant as like his best seasons but this is definitely better than i thought that he would be capable of playing at this point in his career. Yep. i mean right now he's our second he has the second highest coverage grade um, of any cornerback in football right now um, behind Quentin Dunbar for Washington. So uh, he has been playing very, very good football this year um, and absolutely deserves to to get paid. Yeah. And I mean, hey, it was a gamble. It was a gamble we weren't sure would pay off for the 49ers, but it absolutely is. Uh, and now they've got uh, competent corners, which is really, really good and a good place to be. All right, David, we're going to let you go. You can get back to watching Shane Bouchelle do weird things with footballs. Um, at, like be good at them. Uh, was a surprising development. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was. It was, was not expected. Very, very surprising. But um, we'll hold down the fort here. Uh, await your eager return. And uh, as soon as I turn this mic off, I'm going to berate you about liking Mandalorian. Whatever. I've got nothing. <laughs> I'm done with this conversation. I feel attacked. Came on, and I'm getting attacked. Yes, that is that is exactly what we do here. Uh, thanks, David. We'll talk soon. And now we're going to get to our Saints preview with friend of the pod, Canal Street Chronicles writer and internet quarterback whisperer, Seth Galina. But before we do that, let's take just a brief break to hear from our sponsors. Seth Galina, back to talk about a team you were a bit more familiar with in your New Orleans Saints. Seth, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? Uh, I'm doing really well. You are now officially uh, a friend of the pod, back for a few times here. Uh, and you've got an article going up about this game for Canal Street Chronicles on SB Nation. So I figured, you know what? Let's have Seth back, talk about a team that you're a bit more familiar with and, and have a good time previewing what's a pretty important game for the 49ers. Hey, it's an important game for us too, man. It, it's definitely a game that can swing quite a bit because the Niners, I, I love using 538's kind of predictive model about what's going to happen based on wins and losses. I think it's a pretty neat tool. And, and if the the Niners win this game against New Orleans. Their chance to win the division jumps up to 53%. If they lose it, it drops down to 27%. Currently, it's at 38% because at this point, of course, they're the fifth seed and and they've lost that tiebreaker to the Seattle Seahawks. So it's definitely, I mean, these three-game stretch has been pretty nuts. And, and if the Niners can pull this one out, it will definitely kind of hype up that Week 17 showdown against the Seattle Seahawks. Do you know what the Saints' uh, chances of winning the division are? Yeah, let me look right now. So uh, it's actually yeah, 100%. It's 100%. Yeah, because you guys are uh, not in the <laughs> NFC already best. won it. It's, it's terrible. A 10-2 team should be leading the division. Uh, I think this is the first time since, like, I don't know, dinosaurs roam the earth that a team uh, this far into the season has not been leading the division at 10-2. So it, it's pretty nuts, but you guys have locked up the division. Uh, at this point, you're on track to get to a bye. And, and I'm hoping that a phantom kind of roughing the passer penalty doesn't swing this game again as it did oh, in 2013. Oh, we're going, we're going there now. Okay, oh, man. I see how it is. Long memories, Seth. Long memories. I think really the first question about the game is the Saints and whether or not Drew Brees is actually entering the decline or really how far into the decline of his career he's in, right? Are the rumors of Drew Brees' demise accurate? Because he can absolutely still pick you apart, but it doesn't seem like it's at the same level as before. 
His big time throw percentage is down to just 1.93%, uh, which is not high in case you're counting. Jimmy Garoppolo, not a super big time throw quarterback, and he's got uh, over 2% big time throw percentage. But at the same time, he doesn't put the ball in the harm's way. Um, so he's just kind of a, a, a safe quarterback that is working within structure. Uh, is that kind of your read on how Drew Brees has been playing so far? Yeah, I think the working within structure part is probably the most important because, I mean, you could argue he is the best quarterback of all time at working within structure. But, you know, in the past, you could still um, count on a post route to Devery Henderson and, you know, a post route, I'll play action to Robert Meacham, etc. You know, Jimmy Graham in the seam. Uh, and then even late year of Breeze, you had, I uh, you know, Ted Ginn, um, when he doesn't drop post routes, you had him catching post routes and, um, down the field. So he was always good in structure, but then, you know, he still had that other stuff. And now he doesn't have that other stuff. They barely throw the ball down the field. The intermediate game is still very good. It's still very efficient when he does throw it, but you see him bypass more opportunities there. And they just call a lot of quick game, a lot of, you know, quick one step, three step uh, dropbacks. Because the thing with Breeze is he just gets the job done in those areas. He's always right. He doesn't make the wrong read. He always puts the ball in the receiver's hands. So, you know, explosive, explosive plays win football games. And the Saints don't have those. But Drew Breeze just doesn't miss underneath. You know, there are games where he would go 19 for 20 on throws under 10 yards, where he goes 16 for 19 on throws under 10 yards. It's incredible. They probably need a little bit more out of the explosive in the explosive play department, but I've never seen anything this clean before underneath, and it's kind of wild. You know, you mentioned his time to throw, and it's definitely something that he's done even a little bit more so after he's come back from injury. He is third in since he's come back from injury in the NFL for uh, throw for basically time to throw fourth incidentally is Jimmy Garoppolo um, but he he threw the ball a little bit slower the first couple of weeks before his thumb injury and you're right I mean he's getting the ball out quickly which is something that you absolutely need to do if you're going to do anything like I don't know neutralize a pass rush um, or if you're going to throw underneath the the question is going to be whether or not any of those underneath concepts are going to be able to spring for a large kind of explosive after the catch play, because that's what it seems like breeze really relies on is I would imagine that his air yards are not very high, but his total yards are probably still really good. Yeah. I think he's like third last in intended air yards. Uh, so he just doesn't put the ball down the field at all. He has had a lot of yak. And, you know, when you have players like Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas and Jared Cook, you're going to get that. And so that's, you know, Breeze has been declining, but there still is some very excellent quarterback play. But look, he's surrounded by a good team. And not, not, to, not just the receivers or, the, you know, the pass catchers on the team. The Saints haven't been down this year. They haven't really needed to go, you know, long stretches where they've had to push the ball down the field a lot because the defense had been so good. And then, you know, you'll, you'll, all you need is one or two drives a game. I'm thinking about the end of the Carolina game where they finally go down against Carolina. All they need is one drive. And honestly, even on that drive, they really only got one explosive play, and it was on a, a double move to Michael Thomas. So, you know, they haven't needed to be an explosive team. You're playing a little bit with fire doing that but it's worked so far and like i said they've put such a great team around him uh that it, that it's working out now when you look at the schedule that the saints have faced they mostly fare and have fared pretty well obviously they only have two losses but one of those losses is against atlanta and that was a game that you shot you circle on the schedule and you're like oh that's a win it's the, it's the falcons this is gonna be easy and then all of a sudden, Atlanta throws up 26. New Orleans only scores nine. This is, of course, after Drew Brees is back. And, and you're like, what, what the hell happened? And really, the story of that game was, was run defense. It, the Saints entered the week with the sixth most efficient run defense. And Atlanta's run offense was absolutely anemic. And, and then all of a sudden, Atlanta throws up 143 yards. Yeah. And, and it's like, Have you ever what? heard of Brian Hill? 
Yeah, no, actually, actually, that's not true. Exactly, that's I, the point. I had picked him and up Brian on my dynasty team because place. I had Devonta Freeman. So unfortunately, I had heard of Brian Hill. <laughs> <laughs> the The question really is, which Saints run defense is going to show up? I mean, look, it's 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 a very good run de- run defense. They've gotten healthy as the year has gone on. Now, you know, there's some limitations at linebacker. You know, A.J. Klein and Kiko Alonso are a little banged up. Obviously, you still have Demario Davis, one of the best linebackers in the league. The defensive line is still special. Uh, Cam Jordan is a great run defender. Guys like um, Malcolm Brown, Shai Tuttle have come in this year and been very, very good players in the middle. They are better at times from the Sam or nickel position now that Chauncey uh, Gardner-Johnson is playing there. He's a little thicker than P.J. Williams, so he can play in the run game if you need him to. And especially against the tight sets that the 49ers will give them, if they want to play with uh, a bigger nickel on the field, then you have you know, Chauncey and then dropping into the box, Von Bell, who's been a pretty good tackler too. So the run defense is solid. There's just You know what? There's just a lot of good players on that defense. Yeah, absolutely. I think you look at the weakness of the Saints and you're looking at, you know, like you said, the linebackers at AJ Klein. And, and you know, I think that the Falcons really did a good job of attacking the interior of the, the Saints defensive line. And, and the guards really for the Falcons played relatively well. I, I have a feeling you're going to get some of that interior play from Shanahan. He's been liking to run, uh, you know, kind of some counter runs or some kind of design cutbacks along the inside. You've actually seen quite a bit more, I feel like, gap runs from the Niners this year. They've run a couple of power plays, even though they should probably reserve those for fourth and one, but we won't talk about that. Um, so it, it'll be interesting to see how the Niners attack that Saints defense, uh, how, the, how they attack that Saints run defense, because if you get a Saints run defense, it's a bit more like you saw against the Falcons, then this could be one of those hyped up games where it ends up being a total dud and, and you're writing your recap in, in the, the early fourth quarter because it, it's already cooked. Because uh, the Niners' formula basically is rely on the run, and and all of a sudden, if if you've got a good defense on their heels and they don't have to do too much, and Jimmy Garoppolo is not putting the ball in harm's way, uh, this could be over relatively soon. A lot of it hinges on, like you said, the run game. Can they get it going? I'm not a, you know, I've watched a lot of Garoppolo over the years. I am a big fan of what he looks like, but maybe not a big fan of how he plays, if that makes any sense, because he has great mechanics. I think we talked about that in the last show. He he has great mechanics. He um, gets the ball out quick and everything. He just he just has trouble pulling the trigger when things are open. And you kind of can't do that against the Saints defense this year. They play really good man coverage. In zone, I find they are very physical. They pass routes off very well. And Dennis Allen plays a lot of different coverages, too. Like, he's got a lot of tags and calls, and he he shows a lot of different things. He's got a nice bl- uh, blitz package where they're showing heavy blitz, and they often rarely send the whole package, but they're coming out of it from different angles and then, you know, dropping guys uh, on the weak side. It's coming from the nickel and stuff like that. So it's a lot to handle for most quarterbacks. And, you know, the way Jimmy's been playing this year – it could be a lot to handle for him, too. Yeah, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo so far this year has not played as well against the Blitz as one would like. But it seems like the Blitz has been getting to him just a little bit this year. And especially against the Ravens, there were a couple of blitzing, uh, a couple of instances against the Blitz where he just did not do uh, as much as you would like. And and it, again, I think you're right. He Sometimes he does have trouble pulling the trigger, and that that could get him now. Whether or not you see the defensive game plan be blitz heavy, um, it would be interesting to see if that was the case. I mean, it's not uncommon for teams to do that, especially when you're looking at the wide receiving core the Niners have. But I think especially recently, players like Debo Samuel and and not so much Sanders have been stepping up. So now you've got a pretty good trio of Debo Samuel, Emmanuel Sanders and George Kittle to attack defenses. And if you're looking at, at, you know, linebackers being a bit of a weakness, the middle of the field is where he likes to throw. And so it could be another one of those games where the one thing that, that Garoppolo does really well may be one of the few areas where uh, where the Saints defense is weak. Yeah, one of the things that, that Dennis Allen has been doing a lot of this year that I've been enjoying 
is so I talked about that kind of heavy blitz look. They'll come with, you know, depending on the offensive formation, they'll come with uh, more guys than you can handle. And they play often with two deep safeties and the two corners are off. So you're kind of getting a too high, you know, four deep shell. And you don't know where the guys are coming from. So they're not really sending five that often. Sometimes they're only sending three or four. But they're coming from weird angles. And what I what I really like that they do, you talked about throwing in the middle of the field, is they're very disciplined at finding the the receiver's routes and not getting caught on something shiny, you know, if I'm talking about the linebackers. So if you if you're like the first linebacker that's trying to get outside and you have another linebacker that's popping out of the blitz look two to the same side as you, oftentimes, you know, that first linebacker can get attracted to the first route that breaks inside of him and then stick on that. And then there's another route that he leaves open by accident. And the Saints have been really dis discipline and not doing that so i'm very excited to see uh that matchup and if they can continue to really get into passing lanes i think that's that's the saints are good what i'm talking about is what i call showing color to a quarterback so even though the guys aren't necessarily like you know in great positions to cover receivers because the quarterback sees the other colored jersey he holds on to the ball for that split second longer and that's something that you know we talked about is is maybe an issue for jimmy g i mean i don't think the saints defensive line is as good as the 49ers defensive line but it's still you know top 10 top five in the league so if you hold the ball for a second cam jordan's getting to you um marcus davenport's getting to you hendrickson's getting to you so um yeah you know i think you've got marcus davenport of course who's the probably the, the one trade-up or the one real personnel decision that you're not too happy with in terms of the draft capital that it took to get him. But other than that, you know, there was a tweet from Robert Mays where he talked about whether or not the Saints have really messed up on a high pick or a free agent. Uh, and he basically lists a whole bunch of names and he has to go all the way back to Kobe Fleener before he gets to yeah. a player that the Saints really screwed up because you're looking at Demario Davis, Jared Cook, you know, Alvin Kamara, Marcus Williams, Ryan Ramchek. I mean, the list goes on and on. This is a talented team. And, and probably the most talented, in my, in my opinion, currently is going to be Alvin Kamara because he is the, the deadly guy. He's the guy who can really destroy the 49ers, I think, because he is the player that, that Breeze is going to get the ball to underneath that can create in space. And his speed is ridiculous. And, and if he's got a step, he is potentially gone. And, and so he's got the, this thing that the, the Saints love to do, which is the choice route, and he executes it with a high degree of precision. And that's one of the, the things that I'm worried about is, you know, someone like Dre Greenlaw trying to def trying to defend that choice route, because I don't know that that's going to end necessarily well for him. Yeah, I think the problem with Kamara is whether he actually is 100 percent healthy. You know, he missed some games early in the year with, I believe, a hamstring injury. He's come back. He's looked fine. But there's been kind of a lack of explosiveness. And you talk about that choice route. He hasn't been able to separate like normal uh, on that route, especially when the choice route hits to the inside. So basically, you know, um, just for your listeners, the choice route is usually hitting on the weak side of the field, the short side of the field, the, the receiver, and in the Saints case, often it's, you know, the running back, Alvin Kamara, either coming out of the backfield or already lined up in the slot. He can hook it at five yards if it's just off his own coverage, or if he gets inside leverage, he's breaking out. If he gets outside leverage, he's breaking in. And Breeze is so good with his timing and accuracy that he gets the ball there. But they just haven't been able to find Kamara, especially when the ball breaks inside, where you really need that extra little bit of separation um, because you can't kind of float the ball to the sideline a little bit. So they haven't been getting that. Deion Jones did a great job last week on him. Obviously, Dre Greenlaw is not Deion Jones. So that's a big difference. Um, the Saints have had a lot more success running that route recently with both jared cook using his big body and michael thomas using his unbelievable route running skills yeah and they do something else with that choice route that they like to pair with that makes that combination even more deadly and that's throwing a corner route on top of it and and at that point basically if you've got a corner route on top or if you're, if you're trying to defend the choice route first one of the ways to do that is to bracket it 
And basically you put one defender on one side, one defender on the other. The way that you bracket that is by running a particular type of coverage where it's basically a cloud coverage. And and when you do that, though, you expose yourself to that corner route behind it or really on top of it. And, and Drew Brees, with his timing and his ability to see defenses ahead of time, I think if you're watching the game, it would not be a surprise at all to see Drew Brees hit a corner route with a choice route underneath it because that's something they, they really run uh, and like to run, and it's something that takes advantage of how defenses like to play Alvin Kamara if they focus on defending him. Yeah, and the, and the nice thing is that if you're going to run Kamara on the choice route, they'll often put Michael Thomas on that aforementioned, you know, corner route, uh, sail route, whatever you want to call it. And that's, that's kind of hard to defend. The funny thing is breeze is so accurate underneath that even if you trap the corner, like you're talking about, he'll still sometimes throw the ball in there. He hasn't done a lot this season, but uh, last year there was a ton of times where you really thought he could throw the corner and it was probably there. But because of his timing and accuracy, he just throws the out route before the corner can even get near the choice route. And it's still a six-yard completion, and that's it. And they just go ahead and go back to the huddle and run on the play. So it's there. We've seen him throw it um, when the corner does trap. I'm thinking about a play two years ago, I believe, in Atlanta to Tommy Lee Lewis got a touchdown pass because of exactly what you're talking about, um, the corner trapping, and they just ran right by him. So it's there, but the question is, you know, late era Drew Brees, 2019 Drew Brees, is he, does he want to throw the ball down the field? And he kind of doesn't. So it'll be interesting to see how San Francisco tries to bracket that route. Because you could also bracket from the inside and then leave your corner deep. And that takes away the, the corner route because there's a corner back deep. And then you keep the mic down. You have the will linebacker kind of bracketing the choice route. So that's another way to do it. Now, the big three for the Saints currently on offense are basically Michael Thomas, Kamara, and, and now Jared Cook. I mean, that makes up the, the vast majority of their offense if you kind of take away the, the Taysom Hill trick plays for a bit. Which of those three players do you think has a bigger game uh, or the biggest game, even if, even if it's not a big game against the Niners? Do you think this is... A, a wide receiver, a running back, or a tight end game? I, I, I like the way that they've been using Jared Cook recently. They're kind of getting his big body involved um, on in the slot. You know, there was a, the great game that he had against Carolina. When you look at his the routes that he ran, they were all from the slot, and they are kind of like bending, in-breaking routes, a lot of seams. So if he gets a corner on his butt, you know, he's boxing him in. He's making a big play. Uh, they found ways to get him the ball against Atlanta two on last Thursday, and he again made some plays. They use him in the uh, choice route system, like uh, I talked about, like you talked about. So they're finding a lot of ways to use him. Not you don't want to discount Michael Thomas because he's you know a top three receiver in the league, but I really really like the way they're using Jared Cook and. It, it's really taken some pressure off of Michael Thomas when you can get another guy who can run a lot of the same routes. You know, the the choice route, the deep corner route like we talked about. So it's been really good. Now, the problem is you can't catch the ball half the time. But uh, uh, we'll see if that continues. Now, the betters have the consensus line for the Saints as the Saints uh, favored by two and a half points. And the over-under is 44 points. So that means that, that Vegas does not think this will be a high-scoring game and, and that the Saints are going to squeak on by because this is at home field and you get three points. So it's basically cl- close to a pick with an implied total for the, uh, the Saints at just about 22 to 24 points. Uh, so do you think that the Saints cover uh, and do you think that this game uh, actually hits the over or, or stays under that 44-point total? I mean, I'm I'm super biased, so yeah, I'll say the Saints cover, but I do think it will be a low-scoring game. You know, Breeze once in a while, and I talked about how he doesn't want to take his shots down the field a lot. I mean, every few games, you're going to get a classic Breeze performance, like he did against the Panthers, like he did to start the season against Houston. But I can't see that against such a good defense like the 49ers, so I would kind of think it'll be an under game. 
Yeah, because I, I also don't think that the 49ers offense is going to move the ball as much against you know the Saints defense. You get two really really special defenses going against each other, and two offenses that kind of slowly matriculate down the field and then get explosive plays from from scheme really in the passing game. Yeah, as, as crazy as it sounds, I actually think this game hits the over, and and I do think the Niners pull this one out. I actually didn't, and I haven't just been picking the Niners all see, all season this year. You, you, I actually picked the Ravens to win last week, uh, and I picked the Packers to win the week before actually, and I was I was wrong in the best of ways. But the I, I do think that as as crazy as it sounds, I do think this is going to be a game where Jimmy Garoppolo has a bit more success than he's found, uh, and, and I don't think the running game is necessarily going to propel him. I think you're right. The the run defense is probably uh, pretty good for the Saints, but I do think there's some vulnerabilities in in the passing game. I do think that, especially in the middle of the field, it, it's going to be difficult for them to cover. I do think someone like George Kittle is going to be able to have a pretty good game against someone like Demario Davis uh, or or really any of the linebackers they throw at him because they'll probably put a safety on him. But even when you put safety on him, uh, I think Marcus Williams is probably their best safety. And, and at that point, then you start taking one of the better coverage defenders away. And now you're left with, you know, some some players that are exposed. And that's where I think Emmanuel Sanders and, and Debo Samuel can start to play. The, the catch, I think you mentioned it earlier, is going to be whether or not the, the pressure schemes are going to get to Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, and, and that's going to be the key. But I do think the Niners win. And, and I do think this game goes over. And, and it's, man, it, it's going to be a good game. I don't think, hopefully, it comes back down to a penalty. Um, nor do I hope that anyone gets concussed at the goal line because, uh, you know, this isn't a playoff game. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, you know, it's funny. I, I, so the Saints went into Seattle this year and kind of exercised some demons. Um, they had lost twice in the playoffs in Seattle, and they went to Seattle on a Monday night when both teams were very good and kind of just got crushed. I don't remember what year that was, maybe 2014 or something like that. And it was nice. You know, they, like I said, the exercise is even in Seattle. It would be very nice if in the NFC Championship game, the Saints came to San Francisco and exercised some more de- demons from the uh, 2011 uh, divisional game. I would like that a lot. No, we're, it's going to be another Vernon Post to win the game. Uh, we may even see... Maybe, out of retirement. Uh, absolutely. Uh, we may even see Jimmy Garoppolo on a quarterback sweep just for old time's sake. Um, incidentally, it, it hurt my heart when I saw Lamar Jackson run the Alex Smith sweep for a first down against the Niners. It's just all of the ironies. <laughs> I um, loved it. It was, it was crazy. The best thing ever. <laughs> well, Seth Galina, uh, where can folks find you on Twitter and where can they read your stuff? Cause you always put out some really, really fantastic articles breaking down the types of scheme stuff that I know that our listeners will love. Uh, it's at S E T H G A L I N A at Seth Galina. Awesome. Seth, thanks for coming back on. Uh, (laughs) And as always, my friend, go Niners. Uh, Go Saints. Yeah, but at least spell go the right way if you're going to spell it. Yeah, go Saints. (laughs) 